Welcome everybody uh, and thanks for joining us. Today we will be discussing our short forecasts for the uptake of automated, connected and electric vehicles in Australian passenger car fleet by 2030. My name is Ekaterina, I'm a communications officer at Austroads and I will be moderating today's session. You can see my contact details up on the slide, so if you have any questions, uh, get in touch after the webinar. Uh, before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. I pay my respect to Elders past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the regional people of New Zealand. Um, a little bit about Austroads. Uh, we are the collective uh, of Australasian transport and traffic agencies, and our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved road transport network. Here's our structure. Uh, we use a program management approach to deliver our work. There are four programs, and each is focused on an operational area of the road system. The project we are focusing on today was delivered under the Future Vehicles and Technology Program, which is managed by John Wall. A bit of housekeeping. Our presenters will speak for 40 minutes, and then we will have a Q&A session for 15 minutes. We record all our sessions, uh, and you will receive an email from us from once uh, from us once the recording uh, is uploaded to the um, to the Austroads website. You can also search uh, for Austroads in your podcast app. Um, the report and the slides for today's session um, can be downloaded from the handout section of your sidebar, which you will find on the right hand side of your screen. Uh, there is also a questions uh, section there, so please use it to send us your questions for the Q&A. Just simply type your question in the box and hit send at any stage of the webinar. Uh, it could be also helpful if you uh, let us know the slide number that your question relates to, so we can answer your question as best as we can. You can also use that same box uh, to let me know if uh, you're experiencing any technical issues. Uh, but a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, the issue is most likely with your connection. So leaving the webinar, closing the browser and rejoining the session again via your registration link usually fixes that issue. Um, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce our presenters for today, John Wall and Andrew Sommers. We will first hear from John. Uh, John is the Austroads Program Manager, Future Vehicles and Technology, uh, and he is recognized as one of Australia's leading specialists in the application of intelligent transport systems uh, for road safety. John has over 25 years experience in the development of road safety strategies and countermeasures, and he holds tertiary qualifications in agricultural science, education, and public health. John will introduce the Future Vehicle and Technology Program, its history, vision, and themes. Uh, and then Andrew Sommers will take us through the forecasts their methods and results. He will also talk about the impact of COVID-19 on the forecasts uh, and explain the forecast update process. Andrew is the director of TransOptim. He's a specialist consultant in future mobility and intelligent transport systems, or ITS. Uh, he has extensive experience in ITS and network operations uh, with a focus on practical approaches to the application of um, innovative technologies and operational strategies. So welcome to you both, and I will now hand over to John. John, over to you. Thank you, Katarina, and good afternoon to everyone. Thank you for joining us for our webinar this afternoon. 
Well, the Future Vehicles and Technology Program is Austroad's newest program, established about 12 months ago. Our vision is that all employees of our member organisations have an understanding of how future vehicles and technology can help them improve the lives of the people in the communities that they serve. We've got five program themes within our program around connected and automated mobility, low and zero emission vehicles, physical infrastructure and digital infrastructure and member capability. This report that you're going to hear about this afternoon is really important for us because it sets, for, uh, it sets what we are calling our target state. It allows our program to prioritise and schedule our work. It's not easy to forecast the future, as no doubt Andrew will talk about this afternoon. But why are we doing this if it's so difficult? Well, I think Neil Armstrong, the astronaut, summed it up in these words. Science has not mastered prophecy. We predict too much for the next year and too little for the next 10. Let's now get an insight from Andrew on what the next 10 years might offer. Over to you, Andrew. Okay, thank you. And, and thank you both to Katerina and John for the introduction. And, and thank you all for, for joining us today for this, uh, for this webinar. And of course, also to those who happen to, uh, to listen a little bit uh, later by the recording. I'll run you through a few different things today, but where I want to start with is by covering what are the questions this project does seek to answer, uh, and also just to, to touch upon what is beyond this project and what does this project intend to inform rather than directly answer. So the headline question we're looking to answer is what technology should we anticipate in a typical new vehicle in, in 2030? And John mentioned this as a target state. Uh, in a sense, it's it's not so much a target as a forecast. It's a forecast of what we anticipate is, is most likely to happen. That's not an indication that we want it to happen or that we're aiming for it to happen. Simply a forecast as to what is most likely to happen. To do that, we answered a series of questions that contribute to doing that, to, to answering that headline question. The forecast penetration of selected vehicle technologies into new Australian passenger vehicle sales for each year between now and 2030. From there, the forecast penetration of the vehicle technologies into the Australian passenger vehicle fleet also for each year between now and 2030. And then a discussion around how technology penetration is likely to differ for different vehicle types, different geographical areas such as New Zealand, uh, where there is significant importation of used vehicles and questions also such as remote Australia versus the, the big cities. Is there a difference? What sort of difference would we expect to see? Beyond this project is what's the impact of these technologies at the forecast level of adoption? So we're very much focusing on what vehicle technologies we should anticipate in 2030 and transparent evidence as to why we think you should anticipate that. We're not trying to say whether we think that that's good or bad, desirable, undesirable, or what the impact of those technologies should be. We anticipate that projects will use these forecasts to do just that. And in fact, we've already seen that both within jurisdictions uh, and within Austroads, we've seen that in the decarbonisation of road transport, where they're able to take the forecasts that we produced just before they were published actually, make some interpretations based off that uh, and work out, well, when would you need to start taking action given these forecasts if you wanted to change the direction uh, of uh, carbon production from road transport. 
To go about answering these questions, it was first necessary to work out, well, what specific vehicle technology should we forecast? So we didn't forecast uh, based on Society of Automotive Engineers or SAE automation levels, because actually they're not particularly specific when it comes to whether any particular vehicle does or doesn't comply. They, they describe a broad category. We needed to be more specific, and so we had to select those, and we'll see those shortly. We built an evidence base for the likely timing of different stages of adoption for that technology. So not only when a technology first becomes available, but when the uptake of that technology hits certain threshold points. We selected a model framework to assist forecasting uptake of that technology beyond first availability, and I'll cover that in a little more detail, and the fleet penetration model to forecast how adoption of technology into new vehicles then becomes fleet penetration. And I'll touch on that in a bit more detail too. There is a lot of uncertainty. And so as part of describing that uncertainty, not only do we have a medium scenario in each of the forecasts, we have slow and rapid. Some of the illustrations we'll show today don't show all of the scenarios for each of the technologies just for simplicity. However, they are certainly included within the, in the report. Uh, the slow is in each case still describing a situation in which the technology adoption does proceed. Uh, it would in many, for some of the technologies at least, be possible to, to have a scenario where there was no further adoption whatsoever. Uh, so the slow and the rapid uptake scenarios aren't limits to what's possible. They're still descriptions of a, a, a somewhat likely but slower than anticipated scenario and a somewhat likely but more rapid than anticipated scenario. Where it was relevant, we compared and contrasted our forecast to alternative forecasts, and that was the case for electric vehicles, where we were pretty close once you adjusted for the fact that we're forecasting to 2030 and many efforts go beyond that, and automation where we weren't close, and we'll explore why that is and the reasons for it. So I'd mentioned that we had to select quite specific technologies to forecast in order to, to say, well, are vehicles likely or not likely to have this? And what the and then for others to work out what the impacts of that would be. Uh, so the ones with the highlighted uh, background here are the technologies that we did select. Seven of those describe technologies in a vehicle from first, uh, first sale of the vehicle. Uh, so none of them are aftermarket type devices. Uh, the one down the bottom there for hire cars with driver that covers taxis and passenger transport services such as Uber, Ola, uh, Didi and so forth. That is a use of the vehicle and so the forecast that was quite different. Now the selection of these eight was a reflection of the budget and the scope of the project and the, uh, they were approved by a, a steering committee within the project uh, to be the ones of most relevance to transport agencies and Austroads members now. That doesn't mean that things not on this list or that weren't selected aren't relevant, it's just we can only cover so much. Uh, and so there are opportunities into the future to forecast for further dimensions and, and if there are things that you believe need to be forecast and, and a reason why, then, then John Wall is the appropriate uh, person as, as the program manager to receive that feedback and I'm sure he'll be keen to do so. So framework for technology adoption, the starting point for this was Rogers all the way back to 1962, diffusion of innovations. That's up to quite a number of additions after that now, but the, the fundamental basis that that's remained unchanged now for, for some decades. It's useful for assisting estimates of adoption. It's not an explicit model of adoption. 
so that means for each technology, the evidence base is key to estimating adoption and how quickly we move through those different marks. One of the things you can see on this diagram here is that it takes a while to get your first couple of percent of market share. The next 11% are faster according to, to Roger's work. Uh, and then you, you get an acceleration also and through the, uh, the early majority uh, before you start to reach the people who, who initially perhaps weren't particularly keen on the technology. Again, this has been used to assist the forecasting. It hasn't, it hasn't driven it. The evidence base has really driven the forecasting. The main impact of using this approach is to moderate the rate of initial penetration. So when a technology first becomes available, it doesn't become dominant in sales immediately. And there are very few exceptions to that if you look at technology adoption previously, and particularly for vehicle technology adoption. Uh, we did look at this compared to electric vehicles where there has been adoption, particularly overseas. We did look at this compared to things like electronic stability control and auto emergency braking where there has been adoption and it's stacked up pretty well. Uh, and again, some of the details of that are included within the report. When we come then to fleet penetration, many of you are probably aware that the average age of passenger vehicles in the Australian fleet is just over 10 years. However, it's not the, the pattern by which vehicles leave the fleet is not well described simply by using the average. Fortunately, there is a very extensive data set that the Australian Bureau of Statistics make available, which is based on all of the state and territory registration databases that we can look at and develop the pattern over time as to how vehicles leave the fleet, the likelihood that a vehicle of a certain age will leave the fleet in any year, which, which peaks for a remaining vehicle that's still in the fleet as it gets to about 25 years, but, uh, but many of them have already exited by that point. And so in the blue line, you can see the likelihood of a vehicle of that age, you know, as it was first sold, is still in the fleet. Uh, so the 50% mark has crossed actually at about 19 years of age. The first five years of, of a vehicle's life, the likelihood that it's exited the fleet is quite small. You'd expect that there are only sort of accident write-off type of damage. You do get that acceleration through that starts at about the, the 10 to 12 years of age and then doesn't finish till about 30 years of age. So this, uh, in fact, not even just this model, this, this real data was used in each case to tell us, well, once you start getting equipped vehicles into the fleet, how do those vehicles then translate into fleet proportions into future years? So given all that, what is it we actually do anticipate for 2030? So all the technologies that we looked at, we're saying that adoption is forecast to be in, in progress for all technologies shown, particularly shown on, on this screen for some of them. They're, they're quite early in the, uh, in the adoption, the higher automation levels in particular. We can also show that there's a substantial lag between adoption of new vehicles and penetration into the fleet. Uh, that's just a factor of new vehicles taking a while to become, to get through the age of the fleet. Uh, it's an anticipated result. It's important to see just how strong a result that is. So for instance, if we look at the middle one, vehicles connectivity features, as we go out to 2030, we're saying somewhere just under half of vehicles have embedded mobile connectivity. This is not access to your smartphone. This is that the vehicle can communicate directly using mobile networks without reliance on your smartphone. Uh, a further proportion would have not only that, the cooperative ITS, but that's new vehicles in 2030. When you look at the fleet in 2030, then the proportions are very much smaller. 
Uh, and again, it reflects the, the life cycle and the, the speed of progression through that life cycle for those technologies. You can see that lag effect particularly as well in, in electric vehicles. You can see it in the automation features, but because we're showing quite a few different levels of automation, it's perhaps a little bit harder to see. But what you can see on this chart is in the top, in the very top bar that we've got on the screen, the proportion of vehicles that have highly automated driving capability all is perhaps you know, is, is the red and the in the green on, on the far side of the screen. It's it's a few vehicles, but it's it's a significant proportion in that it means that there's vehicles on the road by 2030. So a few, but still some, and, so, and some certainly matters. Uh, and so some of those have motorway only capability. And some of them have the capability to do also urban driving and in very few cases rural roads. But the proportion of the fleet is very small because although those vehicles are available in, in 2030, according to our forecasts, there haven't been strong proportion of sales for, for very long. One of the things I really do want to point out on this is that the entire project is based around con continuity of current government approach. So we're not saying that nothing new happens, we're saying that the trajectory is as we are on current. So for instance, the National Transport Commission will continue their regulatory agenda for automated vehicles as they have been, uh, at roughly the pace that they have been. That matters for electric vehicles because one of the findings of the uh, Bureau of Infrastructure Transport Regional Economics work that, that we drew upon for electric vehicles is that incentives really, really do matter for electric vehicle adoption and I think the industry for electric vehicles has shared that view strongly. We're not assuming new incentives compared to today because that would be a change in direction for the government. And that then reflects in the small proportion of forecast electric vehicles. Um, so if you want to change the reality of that into a different target value, you'd have to change the government approach. Uh, again, this project is assuming continuity of current approaches, not a change of approach in either direction, more aggressive or less. The first of specific forecasts I'll, uh, I'll run you through is for connected vehicles. And this in this case is CITS, cooperative ITS, or specifically standards-based interoperable cooperative ITS. Now that could be either the, the um, dedicated short-range communications based on the uh, European G5 standard or the cellular V2X standard. We, we haven't said that it's it's one or the other, it's either. Both of those tick the boxes being standards-based interoperable. We're forecasting around 12% of the fleet by 2030. That would be about 2 million equipped vehicles. So that's actually quite a few vehicles on the road in 2030, but still a reasonably small proportion. One of the things you probably can see though, is it's a variance between 4% and 23% in the forecast scenarios from slow through to rapid. And that just indicates how much uncertainty remains in this and in other forecasts. You can see that the adoption sort of starts to take off fairly soon in 2021, 2022. Uh, and for, that's not unreasonable. The and Golf in Europe is coming with this as a standard feature, uh, in fact, from, from later this year. So that starting point is soon, but then it takes time. Uh, and again, that's a pattern that we see right throughout the forecasts. Just a reminder as we're partway through my presentation to, to please submit your questions using the question mark symbol. Uh, and if you do have a specific slide that relates to, then, then please uh, mention the slide number. 
questions that we don't get to today, we'll be endeavouring to get back to people uh, in a published Q&A response uh, a little bit after the webinar. Now onto electric vehicles. Uh, and again, this is a fleet forecast. We've got those three scenarios shown there. In this case, it's a little bit lower than, than uh, cooperative ITS because we're assuming a slower transition through adoption. Uh, and that's very much informed by the forecasting of uh, BITRA or the Bureau of Infrastructure, Transport and Regional Economics. Uh, they did a tremendous look around the world, looked at all sorts of different countries, uh, massive uh, correlation effort to understand the driving factors, the importance of incentives and cost bases and everything else. But they did sales forecasts, new vehicles sold. So in this project, what we did is we took new vehicles sold and we turned that into a fleet forecast. Uh, and that produces the results you see here. 7% of the fleet in 2030 would mean about 1.3 million passenger vehicles. Now, passenger vehicles isn't just cars, it is also SUVs. Uh, a number of people are probably quite aware that SUVs are becoming a dominant part of new vehicle sales in both Australia and New Zealand. It does not include, however, other parts of light vehicles such as uh, utility vehicles, um, but it, and we've been governed by the Bureau of Statistics uh, categorisation in that regard. So this particular forecast is for battery electric vehicles and also plug-in hybrids. And the reason why plug-in hybrids and not other types of hybrids is the plug-in hybrids typically can drive about 50 kilometres, such that many typical journeys could be done as if they were electric vehicles, uh, even though it's not guaranteed that owners will use them in that manner. So 7% or 1.3 million vehicles is quite a lot of electric vehicles on the road, but it's, it's still a modest share of the fleet. Uh, but that just again reflects that uh, as adoption sort of comes through at a certain pace into sales and then penetration into the fleet takes quite some time. Uh, and the variance range here is a little bit tighter uh, compared to cooperative ITS. And again, that's based on the, the bitry forecasts. And I think it's fair to say that there's a lot more information on electric vehicle sales in Australia because there have been electric vehicles sold in Australia now for some years. So if we look at our EV forecasts and compare those to, uh, to other electric vehicle forecasts out there. We did receive uh, from stakeholders on the way through the project feedback that our forecasts appeared low. What that mainly seemed to be though, is that most people forecasting EV adoption are forecasting out to 2040, 2050. This project deliberately goes out only to 2030. Uh, and so when you look then at 2030, we're pretty much on the mark compared to these other forecasts. So we use Bitra 2019 work as our input. If you, so that meant 7% uh, as uh, the medium uptake, four to 13% of the range. If you look at another forecast done for, for Australian governments uh, by Energia for the Australian Renewable Energy Agency, they were forecasting with no intervention, 4%, with moderate intervention, so some change from today, 14%, and that's a pretty good match to our 4 to 13% forecast range. Now, Energia did forecast that if you were to aggressively intervene, you'd get up to 23% fleet penetration by 2030, but that involves a change in the direction of government action. And again, our forecasts are for continu continuity of government action, not a change. The automation dimensions one where we layer quite a few different technologies together because they do tend to have sort of increasing levels of capability. Uh, so on this chart here, we're now looking at sales 
and not fleet penetration. So this is for new vehicles sold in the years according as set out on the on the x-axis across the bottom there. One of the first things we can see in that in that pink layer is that vehicles without even auto emergency braking or autonomous emergency braking really fade out of sales. Uh, that's again assuming a continuity of government action. We are aware that some potential movement in a regulatory sense for this, but actually that the fade out sort of happens even without assuming that that, that necessarily uh, is implemented. In the lightest of green colours is the vehicles with only auto emergency braking. Uh, and then in the darker green colour is auto emergency braking plus multiple active safety systems. So something that does deals with lateral and something that deals with longitudinal. And that typically means lane keeping assistance, which could at least intervene to steer you back into your lane, and some form of adaptive cruise control, potentially with traffic jam assistance or, or stop and go. So there's a level of vehicle automation there. And what we can see in sales as you get out towards 2030 is that that then becomes the largest chunk. Uh, there's still some vehicles being sold that have only auto emergency braking and not those uh, driver aids. And a very small slice down the bottom that for motorway driving starts reasonably soon and then for urban and rural a little bit later, uh, starting to factor into sales but not being dominant. Uh, and that's quite in line with updated evidence bases that are available and the nature by which those vehicles are expected to come onto the market. Now this forecast here is for sales, our other forecasts are for fleet. None of our forecasts are for vehicle kilometres travelled or percent of travel or percent of the travel task. So it would be reasonable to suggest that if a small proportion or some proportion of those grey and yellow rows did happen to be robo-taxis that they would be travelling further than a privately owned vehicle, but this is a sales forecast not a utilisation forecast. Uh, and that's one of the things would certainly suggest any modellers who took these numbers were careful of uh, as they applied them to that different purpose. So again, the message here is that we are forecasting that, that automation at, at the higher levels is, is coming, uh, but perhaps lower, uh, lower proportion of sales more slowly and later uh, than some other forecasts may have uh, predicted. That pattern shows up when we take our automation forecast and we compare them with other automation forecasts. So the rows here with the coloured background are different forecast scenarios from this particular forecasting effort, this report covering both automation on motorways and, and urban journeys, whether it's A2 or A4, rapid uptake, slow uptake and medium uptake. And then we compare that to a whole lot of other forecasts that are out there. Uh, and only in one case are we below or sorry above it another forecast and that was a lower bound forecast where we applied a slippage. Now what do I mean by slippage is we're currently in a situation where for a number of years we've been in a holding pattern where automation is forecast to become available typically about two years from whenever that forecast was made. Uh, we've seen about four to five years of slippage so far in a lot of those uh, those things and, the, and there is a, a fantastic tracker of the slippage in these forecasts. Uh, that, that's made by, available by someone in Michigan that we've put into the report uh, that shows how there have been a lot of forecast availability of automation that simply haven't been met. So that's why we looked and said, well, some of the forecasts of automation previously were made a few years ago. So let, let's be fair to them and, and suggest that they didn't know that delays were coming. 
but even then we're still typically forecasting lower penetration. To make sure that we could be confident in in the forecast, if we're going to be different, we want to know why we're being different. We looked at well, what would we need to change in our forecasts to be more aggressive in our forecast results for the uptake of automation. Uh, you'd either have to assume that the automation was arriving sooner than we forecast and we just couldn't find the basis for that. And in fact, any stakeholder feedback we did receive in reviews tended to be asking us to push later rather than earlier. You'd have to assume that the, uh, the automation, the moment it became available, became very dominant in terms of sales and there's just not precedent for that not only in vehicle technologies, but even in consumer technologies. When these things first become available, not only do they tend to be rather expensive, but they tend to have reasonably limited applicability. It's, it's, it's probably not the most common expectation at the moment that, uh, that the first highly automated vehicles will be capable everywhere under all conditions. And uh, There's a lot of discussion nowadays around operational design domains and, and for good reason. Or you'd need to forecast that, uh, that the fleet turnover patterns were to change dramatically, such that the moment people had access to these automated vehicles, they'd start getting rid of non-automated vehicles in a way that just, again, lacked precedent. Look, that's possible, uh, but most of these effects would be suggesting if they were to happen are likely to happen beyond 2030. Uh, so again, our, our forecast range going only to 2030 allows us to adopt certain approaches, certain assumptions. We validated for each of the forecast those assumptions. And again, that's set out in the report. Uh, but we ended up reasonably comfortable that the forecasts we had here were correct. And, and as part of that, we did speak to, to some of the organizations that are listed in this table as having alternate forecasts, uh, and they were supportive of, of where we ended up. Uh, so we're different. We contemplated why we're different. We contemplated what it would mean to be more like previous forecasts. We, we talked to people who'd been involved in previous forecasts and we ended up basically sticking where we were because we were actually satisfied uh, that, that, that the approach had been correct. Uh, but if you're unhappy, we will, however, get to the process as to how you would have these forecasts changed uh, because there is a process. And in fact, we already have done that in one of the connectivity forecasts. The last forecast area I'll talk about is for hire with drivers. So these are vehicles that are being used as taxi or passenger transport services, such as Uber, Ola, uh, Didi, or in overseas markets also Lyft. The, one of the differences we do see is that there's a, in bigger cities, or I should say bigger metropolitan areas here, we are talking metropolitan areas, not just the, the inner city. In the larger metropolitan areas, there already is a greater proportion of the fleet being used for these type of activities and in a smaller metropolitan area. And by large here, I'm talking more Sydney and Melbourne large, and by small, it's more around the Adelaide level. And, and, and I think specifically it was Adelaide data um, that informed some of this. As with the other forecasts, this is a proportion of fleet that is being used. Uh, vehicles that are being used for this purpose are often being driven much further than a, than a vehicle that's not being used for taxi or, or ride sourcing, ride hailing, ride sharing type of functions. But we're saying that it starts reasonably modest as a share of the fleet, it increases, but it doesn't increase stratospherically. Uh, and that's informed particularly by some of the cities overseas where they've had uh, higher usage of this transport mode for longer, 
and it sort of hits some natural limits in terms of the proportion of trips it's catering. But bear in mind again that this is fleet size, not trip size. Uh, with 3% of the fleet, you can be catering for a lot more than 3% of total trips. But again, you do hit a limiting factor. And that's evident even in cities like New York, where we've used the data, and the San Francisco Bay Area, which we've, where we've used the data from. You sort of hit a natural limitation. Uh, so in this case, the growth was perhaps smaller than what people were expecting. Uh, and that's perhaps because we have seen a rapid period of growth when the services such as Uber and uh, Didi and Ola first became available into Australia. Uh, that growth has tapered, uh, I suppose, more recently. Because these forecasts were done in that uh, pre-pandemic environment, uh, the world's changed and the world very much has changed. I can certainly say uh, doing this webinar from, from Melbourne where it's perhaps changed more than uh, the rest of Australia or New Zealand right at this moment. So what is then the impact of COVID-19 on the forecast? By and large, the efforts to develop the technologies are continuing. We've perhaps seen a little bit more consolidation, but that tends to mean weeding out some of the efforts that weren't looking particularly promising. Uh, the efforts that are promising have, have had to revise their, their testing schedules, and but we've seen adoption continue. And even in terms of electric vehicles versus uh, non-electric vehicles, the patterns of adoption have been continuing. So the biggest impact then tends to be around, well, the technologies get into the fleet through new vehicles, and we're selling, we're seeing less new vehicles sold, and, and indeed we are. But the sale loss so far is only a cumulative effect of about just over one month worth of sales. Certainly in April, the sales reduction was fairly large. The July figures came out yesterday. In Victoria, the reduction's about double that, uh, and other states a little bit less within Australia. But one month isn't that big in the scope of our forecast, particularly given other uncertainty. Now that's likely to increase, but it might end up being three, four, five, six months worth of loss of sales across not only the pandemic, uh, but any economic downturn that follows. Our uncertainty around the forecast arrival times and adoption rates in the technologies tends to have greater variance than that. And so that's still the biggest driving factor of uncertainty in our forecast is the arrival and adoption of technologies not the sales impact of COVID. There is an impact, it's just less dominant than the uncertainty in the technology. So if you have looked at these forecasts and thinking, I, I know something that tells me that these forecasts are wrong, we are interested in hearing that, we, we certainly are. All of the forecasts are based on evidence base. The evidence base is made as transparent as practical in the report. Now, it's not often a case directly a figure in the evidence-based results in a forecast, there does have to be a level of uh, consideration and processing that occurs. But what that very much means is if we update the evidence, we update the forecast. So the example so far where a change has already been made is in the connectivity forecast for embedded mobile communications. So this is the vehicle has the capability to communicate via the mobile network without relying on a smartphone. These were revised downwards in between some of the draft reports. And the reason being, is that the evidence base that was used initially was very much a global evidence base. We had a feeling that Australia and New Zealand were lagging global adoption. We received better evidence as to how Australia and New Zealand were lagging behind global adoption. And so the forecasts were then able to be revised to be more reflective of the conditions for Australia and New Zealand, not for other developed countries. So to update a forecast, we first update the evidence. Uh, and, and with the evidence points, we do need to consider 
whether they're reflective of the medium scenario, the slow or the rapid uh, uptake scenario. So in some cases, we do see little bits of evidence out there that are perhaps more in line with slow or rapid, and so they're less likely to result in a change to the forecast because possibly they're already, if you like, within the forecast range. So because the you know, assumptions based on these forecasts or the evidence based on these forecasts will change over time, it's expected that the forecast will also change over time, and we're at the moment anticipating an annual or, or approximately annual update process to account for changes in evidence over time. Uh, so if you do see something that you think should cause this to change, you're welcome to send it through now while you remember, or sort of at any point over the next period. Uh, and again, John Wall, as the uh, the Austro's program manager, is perhaps the best point uh, of contact to to forward that information to. So that brings us now to, uh, to questions, and I think we're actually slightly ahead of schedule, so we get a chance to answer even more questions today. Uh, and with that, I'll uh, hand back control of the screen to, uh, to Katarina. Yeah, thank you. Uh, that's great that we have time because we have very many questions. Um, so I will start with the first one. So why was 2030 chosen for this report? Uh, I might start on that one if that's okay, Katarina. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. So I guess part of that was trying to understand um, how accurate could our forecasts be into the future? Uh, we've seen a lot of different reports, for example, uh, Future Transport in New South Wales, their strategic plan is going out to 2056. That's a long way to forecast out into the future. By forecasting um, a decade into the future, we're really only trying to predict probably two model iterations of, of vehicles. So, uh, and in that, the first iteration of that model, that model is already being designed, the factory's already getting set up to start to produce that. So only two model iterations, which makes it a little bit easier uh, for us to for us to do that. Andrew may object to the word easier in the point of view, because uh, it is notoriously difficult to do that. But it, it gives us our best bet. And for us, when we talked about that target state before, our target state that we're after is actually, from Australia's point of view, trying to work out what do we need to set as a target in terms of our agencies supporting those types of vehicles um, through things like physical infrastructure, digital infrastructure, legislation, all of those sorts of things as well. So 10 years for us was, I think, doable. It enables me now to develop a 10-year program in terms of the activities, the guidance that we're trying to provide to our, our member agencies around that. Andrew, do you have any comment on that? Well, look, I'll perhaps comment more a little bit on the impact of choosing 2030. And so what that meant is we're able to then base the forecast on the assumption that the current vehicle acquisition and disposal patterns would remain. So if we could forecast then how technologies would get into new vehicle sales, we could forecast how they would get into a proportion of a fleet. Now that forecast is of course dependent upon those current patterns remaining valid. Uh, and for that, you would need to not see some really significant shifts. So sales started to hit penetrations at certain levels, particularly for highly automated vehicles or for electric vehicles, then you could see some significant changes in terms of how people acquire vehicles and how people dispose of, of vehicles. That is one of the big challenges if you look out beyond about 2030 in that the opportunity for that to happen from disruptive technologies, as, as they're often referred, is quite significant. So we were able to adopt the forecast methods we could because we're looking only to 2030. 
it allows us to have sort of a certain confidence because yeah, the, the vehicle fleet, uh, if we look at that average age of 10 years, well, 10 years from now is 2030, uh, but the likelihood also from those charts is that a vehicle that's purchased now will, uh, in most cases, I think it was sort of in the 80 to 90% likelihood, still be in the vehicle fleet in 2030. Um, so as long as that assumption proved true, then that gives us a lot more confidence in, in going from technology into sales to technology into fleet. But if you were to look at to 2040 or 2050, uh, then you just can't make those same assumptions validly anymore. And, and that's also why then quite different forecasting approaches or modeling approaches are typically used if you try to, to look out further into the future. It's relevant to look out further into the future for strategic transport planning and a whole range of purposes. Uh, it's also relevant to sort of do a, more of a near cast or a short term cast in, in, in that case for a range of different purposes. And, and that's what applied here. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, and thanks, John. Uh, and we have a question in relation to the fleet aging analysis. Um, so what are the odds of it being accelerated by government incentives to retire all the vehicles? Is there much chance of budget for that in the next 10 years? So the first thing I'll say to that is that so, so this forecast assumes that, that's, that there is no um, cash for clunkers type of scheme, for example. Uh, that, that, that is, yes, yeah, so the baseline approach is we assume that that doesn't happen because that hasn't happened, certainly in Australia. There, there have been some schemes in Europe, there have been some schemes in the US. Uh, those schemes tend to be tied to places where there's significant local vehicle manufacturing because they're often stimulus efforts for vehicle manufacturing that, that Australia and New Zealand uh, lack. Uh, so we're not assuming that that would be the case, that would perhaps change things. Uh, what that's likely to result though is perhaps you know more of a steepening of the curve uh, in some of the later years rather than accelerating too much the, the the initial adoption a little bit but perhaps not too much uh, but in terms of sort of Ostroads and its role in, in formulating policy recommendations I'll defer to John. John. <laughs> I'll unmute myself. Uh, Look, I, I don't know what the odds are of that. There's certainly been some feedback around things like cash for clunkers that, that it did the desired effect, uh, that often people traded in, for example, their second car that wasn't being used as much. Um, so the effectiveness of those, uh, I think, is questionable, but we'd have to leave that to the, the policy makers uh, for a decision, but I can't see it happening. Um, in, in, in this period of time at the moment. Thanks, um, John. Uh, we have a few questions um, in relation to connectivity of corporate um, intelligent transport systems. So, and I'll start with this one. What are the drives for um, cooperative intelligent transport system at a rate greater than simple embedded mobile connectivity? I'm not sure. We don't forecast it to be greater than embedded, at least not significantly over the forecast period. I'd have to um, fact check myself on that. I, I don't think we do. We, we do show that, uh, I suppose one of the things we do assume is that a vehicle that has cooperative ITS will typically also have embedded mobile connectivity. Uh, we, we've assumed that those two things would, would tend to be paired in the same physical hardware. Uh, and there are a lot of service models that in, include both sort of mobile network elements in addition to uh, the direct vehicle to vehicle or vehicle to infrastructure communication and, and some of the bigger Australian trial projects like in Queensland have looked at issues around that. Uh, 
so, so I'm not sure that uh, that I'd agree that we've said that CITS would be faster. It might be. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to to, to check and, and come back to that in in the written answers, uh, mm-hmm. just to give me a chance of comparing them. The other thing I'd say is that we don't. We only look at the desirability of some of some of the drivers insofar as we need to to understand uh, how that adoption would occur. So, because this isn't an explicit model of consumer choice behaviour, there are some out there to try and do that for the technologies. Uh, we haven't had to try and work out well this feature will drive this adoption or other bits and pieces. Uh, in a sense, we're, we've gone through an approach that, uh, that, that, that estimates based on the evidence base the, the rates of adoption. Uh, in fact, there's some fairly good evidence in most cases that backs that up, uh, including the adoption of previous technologies. But we haven't had to say that any particular factor will drive the adoption. In a sense, though, that consideration exists more within the evidence base itself, um, rather than explicitly within a model uh, that suggests that you know factor X or factor Y means a particular result. Thank you, um, John. Would you like to I add anything? Nothing to that. No, Andrew covered that. Thanks. Oh, thank you. Well, we will stay on this slide. And the other question is: um, so some CITS applications can be delivered over uh, mobile network connectivity. Is the reference for adoption of CITS here only covering short-range radio CITS communications technology? If so, is CITS via mobile network connectivity incorporated into the general cloud connection numbers? So we've been agnostic as to to the application. And so when we talk about mobile connectivity embedded into a vehicle, it could be used for any number of purposes. I think over the air updates have have received quite a lot of attention because of some of the vehicles that have used them. Uh, but there also are functions like uh, emergency call or e-call type of things that could be done by that vehicle diagnostics, uh, data, uh, vehicle concierge services, or a number of applications that fit within the uh, cooperative ITS use cases uh, as well. So this is not where it's via the cellular network towers. Uh, this is standards-based interoperable direct. So the CV2X uh, aspect of this is really the vehicle-to-vehicle direct cellular V2X, not uh, the aspects of using the mobile data network. You know, I won't go into the full detail because I'm sure I get some errors in terms of you know, what parts of that are still supported by the mobile data network. But this is very much that direct interoperable, not requiring the subscription plan, if you like, uh, directly on the vehicle for the CITS aspect. Uh, but again, we have assumed that a vehicle that has that has the embedded mobile connectivity capability. So then how the applications are delivered through which method they're delivered, potentially even through both, uh, is a decision that the, that the vehicle manufacturers and others would make along that journey. Thank you, Andrew. John? Uh, just for those people who perhaps aren't familiar with the technology, this particular slide is forecasting that that uh, technology where the vehicle is able to talk directly to another vehicle to to a piece of infrastructure. It doesn't need to go through the mobile phone network. It's a direct communication device to device. Think about the old walkie-talkies uh, or um, you know tin can and a string, that sort of thing without the need to go through a mobile phone tower. But we do talk about connected uh, vehicles as well um, as one of the other forecasts that we're making around cloud connectivity. 
and CloudCon activities where we're using the mobile data system to do that. Thank you, John. Um, and another interesting question that relates to this slide. Uh, has retrofitting of devices in older vehicles been considered? So the forecasts are specifically for te technology at uh, creation of the new vehicle, uh, where that capability exists on the new vehicle. Uh, that's what these forecasts and this project covers. It's quite a different thing to forecast retrofitting. In a sense, it's similar to the the, the, the only forecast where we haven't assumed the technology new on the vehicle is that uh, that usage one, the, the taxi ride hail one. It's quite different because you, you then need to look at a whole lot of other factors as to, to how much or or not uh, people would choose to retrofit CITs. Uh, and when we have discussed that, there's some significant variation in people's perspectives as to how dominant or not retrofitted CITS into vehicles is likely to be. So uh, no, that hasn't been included. These are for vehicles that come new out of the factory with it fitted uh, yeah, from new. Thank you, Andrew. John? I just see, I, you know, in, in terms of retrofitting, um, it's a real challenge to get people to retrofit uh, safety equipment. Um, one of the issues is if we're looking just at consumers of adopting that, um, generally most of us as drivers believe that we're a lot safer than, than other drivers driving around the network. So we're less likely to go and purchase a piece of safety equipment, but we do know that that piece of safety equipment would be a whole lot better for that other driver that's a lot worse at driving than I am. Um, but the problem is everyone thinks that way, so not many people actually uh, look to purchasing aftermarket. It would have to be a major change in government policy, it would have to include incentives and all sorts of things as well um, to see any retrofitting of cooperative ITS. Uh, into the future. Not saying it won't happen, we haven't forecasted it as part of this report because we're looking at those new vehicles, uh, but there are major challenges with, with that. Thank you, John. Um, so speaking of new vehicles, so um, how safe uh, would they be um, in terms of hacking, for example? Yeah, so it's, I mean, the first answer we'll give relates to how that's dealt with in the forecast in the sense that uh, we don't deliberately tackle issues like that as part of this project. Uh, so again, we'd look at the evidence base and, and, and does factor into, for instance, the rate of adoption, other bits and pieces that, that exist within the evidence base, the, the expectations of progress and challenges that exist in that. Uh, for example, that uh, ensuring appropriate security can be one of the things that delays the introduction of the technology. And, and so we've, we've been as informed as we can be as to how that's likely to play out. Uh, but to answer the question other than in that sense, or again, defer to John. Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of, of that, um, certainly the vehicle manufacturers are very cognizant of both uh, physical and cyber security issues when it comes to uh, the, the critical systems within vehicles like braking systems and throttle systems as well. Um, in terms of, of this, again, it's not part of our forecast. We didn't look into that issue. But projects such as the CAVI project uh, happening up in Queensland, uh, which is looking at a uh, credential security management system and how that's going to operate, I think that will give us, uh, you know, some of the, the facts behind um, security, uh, managing it, um, and uh, we look forward to seeing those results from Transport and Main Roads in Queensland in the years to come. 
Thank you, John. I'm going to take us to slide 19. Um, we have a couple of questions for this slide. Uh, so the first one is, given the significant um, developments in batteries, um, so they're becoming cheaper um, and longer range, how do you see these impacting your forecasts uh, and the uptake uh, in Australia? So the forecast for sales of new vehicles that we use for electric vehicles was undertaken by uh, uh, BITRA, the uh, Bureau of Infrastructure, Transport and Regional Economics, that's, that's part of the, uh, the Commonwealth Government in Australia. And they looked very extensively at cost issues, uh, cost comparison with fossil fuel, fossil fuel vehicles, costs of fuel, costs of battery technology, modelling future costs of battery technology and so forth. So we didn't explicitly explore it because they had done a fairly good job. Uh, and we formed the view that we would be unable to meaningfully improve upon what they had done within the scope of this project. Uh, that, that it was best to sort of to take the assumptions that they'd made, the hard work that they had done. Uh, and so in terms of how they've done that, they've been very open in that uh, on the Bitry website, you can download uh, a Excel spreadsheet that includes maybe even 50 or 60 tabs where every little bit of data they use in their forecast is in there. Uh, and you can explore sort of how they've done that. But they did consider things like battery cost uh, changes. Uh, but again, I think there's a, there is some variance in perspective as to how rapidly that will change the implications of the use or non-use of certain rare earth materials, costs of certain inputs, um, geopolitical uh, considerations around some of those inputs. So there's a huge range of things. Uh, and because Bitry had done a really a first rate job in, in considering those things, uh, we took that as the input rather than trying to, uh, to improve upon it. We didn't feel we would have been able to. John? Oh, no, no comment from okay. me on Andrew's covered that, thanks. All right, thank you. Uh, well, speaking um, of the uh, uptake of electric vehicles, so were societal trends included uh, in your calculations? And also, have you considered uh, the purchasing power of consumers, um, particularly you know, during these times uh, when they uh, might have been affected by uh, COVID-19? So the... Uh... We're starting to see some interesting data come through in terms of electric vehicle sales from different markets as to how that's varied with the downturn in total vehicle sales. Uh, that's only one of the changes that's happening, for instance. Uh, you know, I think June in Australia was quite a strong month for utility vehicles driven by, in part by government incentives, driven by differences into where the economic pains hit. Uh, so there's a few things playing out. I think there's still a degree of uncertainty uh, into that as to how it, how it shapes up. Uh, but it fits also within, within a broader sort of picture of uncertainty such as exists. So no, we haven't, the implications of COVID-19 uh, are what we showed in terms so far of what it means in terms of the changeover in vehicle fleet, in terms of the changeover of technology adoption rates based on any changes in consumer patterns and likewise out of COVID-19. No, not yet. Uh, but in many cases, the jury is still somewhat out. So by the time we do come around to doing doing an update, uh, we'll be further through the pandemic. Hopefully we'll be really through the pandemic. That would be nice. Uh, and then some of that data might be a little bit clearer. Uh, there could be some impacts out of things like that. But again, there's, there's so many moving parts in that uh, that it's not yet entirely clear exactly uh, how that will play out. Thank you, John. I have nothing much to add on that, on that um, Ekaterina, except to say, you know, there, there is a significant um, 
increased capital cost for the purchase of electric vehicles at the moment. And uh, I would imagine any um, increased capital costs, especially for businesses, but also for consumers, um, given COVID-19, the economic downturn, is going to be a further disincentive to purchase uh, unless we can um, change that price parity between um, the, or we'll get to price parity between um, internal combustion engines and battery electric vehicles. Thank you, Tim. Um, I'll take us to slide 20 where you we're comparing the forecasts. Um, so the question is, have you also examined the impact on land use development uh, for the various forecast scenarios? Uh, the answer to that sort of sits on one of the, the first slides and not, not within this project, no. So this project had a very specific scope, which was to undertake uh, forecasts. Mm -hmm. Again, you could argue that if the forecasts were for such high adoption, you get feedback effects that would make the impacts relevant. Uh, but for the technologies where there would be significant feedback effects, we have an app to 2030 forecast at such a rate that there would be such feedback effects that would, would change the forecast. Having the scope of only forecasting adoption was very powerful because it enabled us to look just at that one question, providing you know, as best answer as you could for that and then to set up for a whole lot of projects that consider the, well, what does it mean, these levels of adoption? Uh, and again, that's, that's where I'd hand back to, to John and his 10-year program as to, well, what does this mean and, and what's Australia looking at uh, as a result of these forecasts? So I think for us, so in, in practical terms, what it means is that, that it, it really sets the priorities for us. Um, so one of the first technologies that we're going to start to see, we're already seeing it now, is in that cloud-connected vehicle space. Um, and I guess the work that we're going to be doing now is working with agencies to make sure that they're better prepared, that they've got good guides and guidelines about how to provide that cloud-connected service, um, which we're already seeing vehicles with that technology but we have a limited number of agencies that are able to support that now. We want to help agencies to be able to provide that support because we think that it will have benefits both from a safety, uh, but also from a network efficiency, a sustainability and um, equity uh, transport uh, issues as well. Thank you, John. Uh, I'll take us to slide 23 quickly. Um, so the question here, uh, we've done analysis for a passenger vehicle fleet. Has a similar analysis been done for cargo or mail? So we did refer to, um, yeah, so the base forecast rise the passenger vehicle fleet. Uh, there's a lot of interest in what does that mean for non-passenger vehicle movements, including for, for automation and electric perhaps more than, than, than for connected, uh, and, and even for use for things like yes, Uber Eats or, or other delivery services and so forth. Uh, so no, not directly, uh, and the discussion in that sense didn't go directly uh, to that. The, the data sets and the, the sort of multiple years of data haven't really been available for some of the things that are, that are even newer, such as that particular adoption. Uh, I think that there's a level of awareness that this focuses more on passenger than, than non-passenger movements. Uh, and that's something, again, that could be looked at uh, into the future. And, and, and again, at that point, I'd, I'd hand over to John. Uh, that, that's right, Andrew, yes. So, you know, we weren't looking at that specifically at freight or, or mail. Um, it's something that we could look at into the future. 
Um, but uh, at this stage, um, you know, this is really a, the only service um, area that we tried to predict at, at this stage. The rest was all about vehicles um, with available technologies, whereas this is about the service that those vehicles are put into play. Thanks so much, Tom. Oh, well, we ran out of time, but I want to ask this last question. Um, it relates to slide 24. Uh, so does this information only refer to Australia or does it reflect the global impact given we are importers rather than manufacturers? No, this is Australia specifically because our, our forecasts are for Australia. Uh, global, it varies hugely between markets in, in terms of their particular sales forecasts and there were also factory shutdowns and a lot of markets for extended periods. Uh, so where the global change would impact Australia is really that life cycle of vehicle models and any delays to technology development, which sort of comes back to John's vehicle life cycle comment at the start. Uh, so we'll see that more into technology adoption, the changes in global vehicle sales, and we will. Uh, but no, that was that was directly Australia. There is a change around the world, and it's, it's highly variable as to what it is and where. Uh, if you if you work out how damaging COVID has been, then you can sort of predict how how much damage there has been to, to vehicle sales. Yeah, right. Thank you, John. Would you like to add anything to that? Or no, not at all. Good. All right. Thanks so much, John, and thanks so much, um, Andrew, um, and thanks to all of our participants and um, your questions. We still have many questions that we haven't answered, but uh, we will do that in writing and we'll send you the copy of the response after the webinar. Um, so I just wanted to let you know about the next webinars uh, on our schedule before we wrap up. I uh, would like to draw your attention to the session on the 70, on the 13th of August. We will talk about the best practice uh, approaches to classifying, valuing and measuring the place function of roads, streets and surrounding land use. There will also be a session about the revision of four Australian standards for bitumen and related materials and a webinar on the framework uh, and tools for road freight access decisions. Um, so. Thanks again um, to our presenters. Thanks um, to all of you for being with us today. Uh, we hope that uh, the webinar uh, was useful for you. Um, after we close out today's session, a questionnaire will pop up on your screen. So please take a couple of minutes to fill it in. Uh, let us know what you liked, what you didn't like. Uh, it is really helpful for us uh, to shape um, our webinars. Um, uh, leave us suggestions on the topics that you would like uh, to uh, hear in the future. Uh, and thanks again. Um, stay well and safe um, and enjoy the rest of your day. See you later. Bye. Okay, Rena. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Bye.